night, the Chicago Cubs won the World Series. And on Tuesday, an enormous number of Americans are going to turn out to vote for Donald Trump for president. This week, we're in Birmingham, Alabama with Pulitzer Prize winner Joey Kennedy, talking about this crazy election cycle, the role of the press, and what it all means for the South. It's a slightly longer episode, so let's go ahead and jump in. So we're here today because, Joey, you are, in my eyes and in many people's eyes, one of the the most celebrated journalists in the state of Alabama. You have won a Pulitzer. You have covered issues on politics in the South across platforms for 30 plus years, correct? correct? You also are born in Texas. Raised in southeastern Louisiana or southwestern Louisiana? South central Louisiana. South central Louisiana. And then you've been in Birmingham since 1977. Alabama since 77. Okay. But came to Coleman, worked in Anniston for a few years where I met Veronica, and then came to the Birmingham News in 1981. Okay. Now we are recording this. It is halfway through October. We are in the middle of probably one of the most interesting election seasons in, I would argue to say, American history. I would agree. And we've also seen the press has played a very big role in this election. Of course, the press always plays a big role in elections. But I think that the way people are talking about the South, the way the media is talking in general about these two candidates, to me, strikes me as a little unprecedented. And so I wanted to talk to you today, and I want our listeners to know we're recording this on October 15th. They will hear it the Friday before the election. And I'm telling the listeners the date because so much can happen so quickly in this election that if there's something that happens between now and election day that we could not possibly anticipate, that is why we didn't address anything that's happened after October 15th. Yes. But we're getting pretty close, one debate down, or two debates down, one to go. And, um, and that one's Wednesday. Wednesday night. So we'll see what happens. But to start with, Joey, we think of the South as red states, right? This block of uniformly deeply red. Why do you think it's important, someone who's worked in the region, lived in the region your whole life, more or less, to nuance our idea of the South as just this big red block? Well, this all really started changing during the Nixon administration. They had a Southern strategy to win, and part of that was to turn the South into a more Republican area, and it won huge. And the way it happened was politicians started using the real red meat, kind of modeling after George Wallace, the former governor of Alabama, who was who was, um, just used the race issue Mm -hmm. um, to punch people's buttons. And since that time, uh, Republicans especially, many of whom, by the way, were conservative Democrats. They were Dixiecrats Uh, or... That's exactly right. So the Republican Party we have today is not the Republican Party of Abraham Lincoln. Um, I know they want to claim him and all that kind of stuff, but that's not that party. Uh, The Republican Party we have today are really like the Dixiecrats. And one thing, and Alabama has been especially good at this, um, 
because of our constitution, which is uh, 1901, it's the longest constitution in the world, um, and it codified many things. For instance, it disenfranchised uh, African American and poor white voters completely, but it told poor white voters, well, you know, at least you're not black, all right? And so everyone had someone to look down on, except for poor black people who could only look up and endure the injustices that were um, put on them during that time. And, uh, and continued to be put on them all the way up through the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, and yes, the 90s, and even now. Uh, we've still not reached that equality. But by pressing the red buttons, and it's transitioned away from African Americans, you know, a few years ago, the red button was immigration, right? The red button's always in the South going to be abortion. Um, the red button is there against now, really, um, Islamists, Muslims. Um, the red button has been there against gays and lesbians and the LGBTQ community. Um, the red button has been there for raising your taxes. Um, and Government interference. Yes. yes. I'm from the government and I'm here to help you. Uh, is, is the really trite phrase that, that people use all the time. In some states that were purple and wonderful states, like North Carolina, have taken the Alabama nosedive. Um, but Alabama is a state in play that, I mean, uh, North Carolina is a state in play this year. Heck, even Arizona is a state in play this year. Utah is a state in play this year. Alabama is so Trump, it is not even funny. He would win here if he actually did shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue. And I saw something just recently that Georgia may go purple this year. Georgia is in play, yes. Which is, I mean, that is the first but, time that's happened. But Georgia, of all the southern states, it used to not be this way, but of all the southern states now, Georgia is probably one of the most progressive. Um, North Carolina used to be really progressive, but... And, and Virginia is still progressive, although people start getting wiggly about Virginia really being a southern state. But it is. Alabama Been too long since I've been home Alabama She knows when I'm feeling alone Alabama the wild card we've got this year is that Trump is such a wild card. <laughs> he is so out there that you just don't know what he's going to draw and who he's going to attract. And you said it was the weirdest election probably in, ever, and probably is. Um, we've never had two candidates who have such a high uh, amount of dislike. Um, I think Trump's are earned. I don't think Hillary Clinton's necessarily are, but she has made some mistakes and done some political things that should have caused her trouble and have caused her trouble. But there's no doubt that she is eminently qualified to be president of the United States. And there is no doubt that he is eminently unqualified to be president of the United States. I say that his big base is the angry white man. And the angry white man isn't simply a male. The angry white man is that attitude. So an angry white woman or a woman can be an angry white man. And an African-American can be an angry white man. And I've seen not a lot of African-Americans at his rallies, 
but a lot of women, which stuns me. Uh, absolutely, I just do not understand how any woman could support Donald Trump with his misogynist views and the way he objectifies women and, and the things that he has done that have hurt women. I don't understand it either. And I, I'm interested in what you're talking about, that this idea, there's an ideological figure of the angry white man, that anyone can fall under that umbrella. And I wonder about, in places like Alabama, what someone who lives, say in Coleman, Alabama, could think that Donald Trump has any relational interest to them, to feel so passionately about him, is really confusing. And to me, it's a little bit, maybe it's this, um, he's tapped into some sort of feeling. And feeling is more powerful than thought. Fear. It's fear. It's the fear. Um, and we've been very good about that. There probably isn't a redder state right now in the country, and I'm including Mississippi, than Alabama. Alabama will overwhelmingly vote for Donald Trump. And it's that's just exactly what's gonna happen. But what he does is he scares us with the evil Muslims. You know, the, they're all terrorists. The Mexican uh, rapists. The Mexican rapists, exactly. And one of the things that has changed and made the South more red over the past years is that for a while, you know, you had the immigrants that would come into, the undocumented immigrants would come into Texas and New Mexico and Arizona and California, and that's pretty much where they resided. Now they you know, come in to all the states. And so we have a whole much larger immigrant population, both documented and undocumented, in Alabama. And they're made to be evil people. We have a much larger Muslim population. UAB, I'm proud to say, is one of the most diverse campuses in the United States, with not just international students and not just African-Americans versus whites, but through with the LGBTQ community, which is the only university, public university in Alabama that protects employees and students from um, discrimination because of sexual orientation. Um, and it, it is, has a very diverse um, religious population. So we have a lot of uh, Muslim students, which are great, who are great students, and they're not scary, um, but he has made them scary. And he's made, and, and Alabamians in, have a long and proud history of voting against their best interests. And I, this is maybe going on a little bit of a ta tangent, but it's such just neo-Confederate logic. I mean, or it's the logic of the Confederacy, that plantation owners, who it is in their best interest to continue the enslavement of African-American people, to continue all of the things the quote-unquote states' rights, none of those th things benefited poor out white Alabamians. Or but, black Alabamians, or, you know, even many poor, middle class. Right, poor white Alabamians turned out an overwhelming number to fight for planters to have the right to continue to e exploit them. Exactly. It, I mean, that feels it's very hopeless. Yep. Well, yeah, how yep. is it part... What... How do we shift, this is a huge question, we probably can't answer it on this podcast, but to shift that culture, is that going to happen it will. ever? It will. That eventually poor white Southerners 
or just white Southerners or this angry white man ideology, they'll say, you know what? The Donald Trumps in the world are not looking out for me. Yeah, it will. And it will because of what's happening in our nation. So is it possible to think, is Donald Trump the last, like, the last dying gasp of white supremacy? That's what I think. Like, um, it, this is the in death In fact, I may have used that. Oh. That very term that this is the angry white man's last gasp, and um, I believe I believe that is true. So first off, if the Republican Party is not destroyed because of him after the election, and not broken up into this alt right and the moderate uh, Republicans, so two parties which could be that, if it's not completely destroyed by this. Um, it's going to have to change. They knew this after Barack Obama won in 2008. They knew this after Barack Obama won in 2012. We have got to do something to appeal to other people. But you can't have their philosophy, anti-woman, anti-immigrant, anti-Muslim, uh, all in for wars. You can't have that philosophy and attract a broad base. You cannot. You can win the little wars. You can win the Congress, clearly, uh, because the gerrymandering that has occurred has made many of those seats very safe Republican seats. But over the years, that's going to change, too. And there is a real chance this year. Now, I would have never. This is one prediction I would ever make. But I've been hearing that there's a real chance now that the Republicans not only will take over the Senate, but they have a shot at taking over the House. I'm, I'm sorry, the Democrats have a shot at taking over the, the Senate and the House. So um, that would have never happened had the Republicans nominated someone who was more in their philosophical um, uh, house. Trump is just like the last person to pick up the dog whistle that the Republican Party has been playing for years, right? Yeah. They, they, built, they, they built this situation and now the horse is out of the barn, and I'm like, well, you bred the horse, you fed the horse, you opened the barn door. Yeah. Look at the horse go. I, that, that is a great analogy, and that's a great way to look at it. And you're right. This is the monster they've built. This is who they, you know, I, I kept saying all during the Republican primaries, he's, he's never going to get When he lost primary. Iowa, I thought, okay, this yeah, is it. This People is, are coming to their senses. No, he just, he's just says outrageous things and and people respond to it mainly people who are mad who hate the obamas so much and listen there's a lot of race in that yeah the people they look at me and they say you can't say just simply because i disagree with obama that um i'm a racist and but a big chunk of that is absolutely racism plays into that and don't let anyone tell you that it doesn't Alabama, they pull the rope swing from your yard. Alabama, she takes losing so hard. Alabama, and now your eyes are full of smoke. Alabama, I believe my heart is. To live in a deeply red state like Alabama and to be a, a blue dot, 
how does that affect your political relevance? Do we need to pay more attention to the blue dots and red states? Um, do blue dots all get together? Do you just say, well, I mean, I'm in Alabama. Does it matter who I vote for? What do you do? And I've got one of those blue dots on the back of my, my SUV, too. And Veronica has a blue dot on the back of her little Honda out there. Um, and we're not Democrats. We're independent progressives is what we are, um, if that's something. Uh, but in, in the last election, I think I voted for 18 Republicans and 11 Democrats. Now, part of that is because we are such a Republican state, and there aren't a lot of really Democrats running in some of those races. Another part of it is our Democratic Party in Alabama is a shambles. Mm. It is There's just nothing there. If I were a Democrat, this would be the year to um, run because, my gosh, our governor has gotten in trouble for fondling one of his top aides and is under uh, threat of impeachment. Our Speaker of the House, the most powerful political office in Alabama, was recently convicted of 12 counts of corruption. It was removed from office and will go to prison. The Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, Roy Moore, yes, that guy, the Ten Commandments judge, well, he didn't follow Supreme Court's direction on the marriage equality ruling, and he's just been suspended for the rest of his term. All three Republicans, um, and this is the time. But our Democratic Party is so, um, it's just not very cohesive. Alabama for so long was a one-party state, Democratic. And now Alabama since 2010, and even a bit before that, because we had Republican governors, has been a one-party state Republican. Uh, you know, that pendulum needs to kind of stay in the middle uh, so that we have a vibrant two- or three-party system where you can get ideas on the table and you can have goals and say, if you're a Republican, this is the way I want to go about reaching those goals. And you've heard Democrats saying, this is the way I want to go about reaching those goals. But... We both have honorable goals out there. I was a Republican. You know, I worked in Republican campaigns. I, but if my viewpoints weren't changing, then I would be the same person I was when I was 18 and 19. And I don't want to be that person, nor do I want in five years to be the same person that I am now. I want to continue changing. And the way I do that is by educating myself and by exposing myself to people who aren't like me and for and and finding out what it means to be really a Muslim um, and, and finding out what it really means I can't be a woman but what women's issues really are about and being a feminist which I believe that I am and um, and Wanting to be exposed to those things. You can't be exposed to that kind of stuff. And by the way, having a faith. You can't be exposed to those various things without it changing you. I don't see how. Now, I have a lot of really um, moderate conservative friends who are great thinkers and certainly um, are doing, you know, their, the work that they see that they need to do. They're physically, physically conservative, which is a smart thing, and they're maybe socially liberal, but they're Republicans. Um, but the really right, and they call it the alt-right now, uh, Republicans are scary people.
your whole career has been in the media and the press. What is the media's culpability in the election situation we're seeing ourselves in? I think I think the media has real culpability. Donald Trump has given the media the easy stuff. All right, you know, you, some tape services that he's talking about grabbing, and um, and and you have people saying. You know, I'll tell you what Donald Trump did at the Miss Universe pageant. And here's what he did on The Apprentice set. And that's easy. That's, that is low-hanging fruit. And that's gotten him in it. But why haven't, they, why haven't they really done a really strong investigation? And, and by the way, some media, the Washington Post, the New York Times, have really looked into the Trump Foundation, which is a crock. I mean, that's what has been proven. But there haven't been the follow-up. What about the accusations that he raped a 13-year-old? Um, and that's hardly getting anything. Um, and, and of course, we know Trump University was just a scam. Uh, and the judge who was ruling on that stuff, Trump jumped on because he's from Mex- uh, a Mexican descent. And, and then it, they, it's talked about and then let go. And look, if this is all the low-hanging fruit, Man, look into this guy, because there is some really serious stuff going on there. And no one, and the media is, is culpable in this as well, but there has been no family probably that has been investigated as much as the Clintons. And a lot of that they bring on themselves because they got they they work in the shade sometimes. And but when they look at it, still the people say, Well, we just don't have anything really, but you know, they probably violated the spirit if they didn't violate the letter. And that has gotten a whole lot more scrutiny from the press. Trump gets a pass. And not only that, he's getting billions of dollars in free press. I mean, they cover his rallies, every one of them, and they do uh, Hillary Clinton's as well. But, and then I've heard, and this is, you know, part of that conspiracy stuff that he really doesn't want to win, that he's trying to lose because he can make more money having been a candidate and he has his brand now, this whoever wants to attach himself to the brand is, is something else, but, but that he can make more money if he, if he loses instead of wins. That he has a whole lot more trouble if he wins than if he loses. That's an interesting. That's an interesting reading that he, oh, because it to me he's building a media brand. And is this you and I before we started recording? We're talking about the media landscape as clickbait culture, and clicks. Is Trump's success because he gives the media the click headline? Yep, and it, it's a shame what's happened in journalism in that way, and it certainly happened in journalism like that in Alabama, um, that. The emphasis is on um, internet traffic. And so whatever you have to do to get those clicks, that's what you have to do. And some media companies, including the one that I was associated with, Alabama Media Group, are now paying people based on their clicks. Uh, if you can sign a contract um, and make you know $35,000 a year, but if you get this amount of clicks, you'll make $40,000. And so what it makes us go out and do, and we've always had what we call these Hey Mabel stories, you know, where you see a story and say, Hey Mabel, you got to read this. All right. We've always had those kinds of stories. 
But we've always focused on our responsibility of documenting the history, of holding the government uh, to account. And there's much less em emphasis now on documenting the history and on holding the government to account than on the hey Mabel, all right? Uh, look, we've got a two-headed uh, two snake here. You know, let's write about that. One of the stories that did the best in 2013 or 14 at Alabama Media Group was this humongous crocodile was killed. I mean, alligator was killed down in the south part of the state by this woman. And we just played that thing. It was an old alligator. What I would have wanted to say, and I did say, was it was a shame to kill an alligator that old. That alligator had been through everything. And it was this world record big alligator that this woman went out and with her family and killed. Got, I don't know how many, it went viral. I don't know how many clicks it got. But then it got so many clicks, we just kept doing the alligator story over and over again. Now, I, I must say, I was in that boat as well. And so when I found the little short spine dog pig, every chance I got to do a pig story, I did a pig story because it did well. But um, that was the pressure, get clicks. So Donald Trump is basically like a really old alligator or a short spine dog. But no <laughs> no offense to either of those. Doing no those no animals, offense to the alligator or pig. Or the pig. Right. Yeah, or the dog named pig. Yeah. I mean, because it's... He is good for clicks. I mean, come on. You know, we need the business culture of the media that press to make profit to, to be a little less, not to make a gazillion dollars, to make just some billions of dollars instead of so that you can put the resources, and a few media companies still do this, but that you can put the resources into collecting the news. We once were called the fourth estate. We are not that anymore to a large degree. In Alabama, we are not that at all. The really good journalism is being done by online operations and by the few newspapers like the Tuscaloosa News and the Aniston Star and the Montgomery Advertiser that still publish seven days or six days a week. Um, not, not by publishing a newspaper three days a week. You're just not gonna, that's not gonna provide you very good journalism when you're putting everything online and then you're asking people to subscribe to your paper and when they get your paper, most everything in the paper is something you've already read online. Are the stakes for the press higher in states like Alabama than they are maybe in some states that have a more even balance between parties? Or, you know, I guess my question is, is the role of the press is there an even larger burden of responsibility in a state like Alabama where it's kind of assumed it's a one-party state? Yeah, I, I think, first off, the role of the press is important everywhere, all right? In nations where the press is controlled, in nations where it's free, like ours, um, it's important everywhere. But in a really one-party state that has a long, long history of corruption, the media is vitally important. Television um, does what it can do. Um, radio news like NPR, and we have a strong NPR station in, in Birmingham, they do what they can do, 
but they're fairly small staffs. What we had at the Birmingham News was the largest single media um, staff in the whole state. And by um, a factor, a number of factors. Um, and, And so now that has been pulled back so much that thank goodness it takes other outlets like uh, Alabama Political Reporter, a strictly online operation uh, that did investigative reporting that led to the charges against uh, Speaker of the House Mike Hubbard and his removal from office for corruption because he was corrupt. But see, here's what they know. The media has been so um, challenged that it encourages this corruption because, well, maybe people won't see it. Maybe maybe it won't get noticed. Um, at, unless they've changed, we don't even have a full-time person in Birmingham from the Birmingham News covering the Birmingham City Council. And this is a council, again, that has a long history of corruption. We don't have a full-time person unless this has recently changed, full-time covering Jefferson County. When a few years ago, it was the largest bankruptcy in the United States occurred when Jefferson County went bankrupt because of corruption. And so we have to have that. And there have been, there have been media companies that have tried to step in. Weld, which is a weekly tabloid um, has done some really good work. There's a web-based news organization called Birmingham Watch that is trying to do some of that. But what happens when you lose your seven-day-a-week newspaper is you you, you create a vacuum. And that is what has happened in Birmingham. Other people have tried to step in and fill little niches um, of that kind of area. But you don't have that foundation and the resources behind um, a, a big newspaper to be able and accomplish the things that big media does. So what you do is you just don't do it. You worry about the clicks. I don't mean this as a devil's advocate question, but sometimes I feel dismayed. So if we have so much of the angry white man ideology does that audience like we need to reach that audience from the press how do you get to the audience that feels so disenfranchised that doesn't trust anything that trump even though the media is his best friend tells people the media is against me mm-hmm. which just doesn't work out in the math right how do you get the journalistic approach and you, like you said those basics to the people who have completely foreclosed or have this boogeyman media or only want to hear one thing, how do you get to them? It's a great, it's like the great question. It is the great question. And a colleague of mine recently um, lost his job at a newspaper in this state because he didn't write to what the audience wanted to read. We, it seems like now, with the First Amendment, 
we have this weird business association with it. Oh, you have free speech, but there might be a business consequence, which I mean, I can agree with in terms of private business. But if all of the presses are saying, well, we're actually more concerned about the business consequence than the First Amendment, it does seem to be like there's a little bit of the feedback loop of why, why does your corporate business interest trump the First Amendment? Right. Right? Uh, I, well, I mean, you make a very good point. There was a time when people in the editorial department would not barely even speak to the people in advertising. There was no crossover. They because did their you, job. You, yeah. We did our job. When Alabama Media Group started, they wanted us to sit next to advertising people and to associate with advertising people. And some of those people are really good friends. They're good people. You need them for the paper. And we do. I wanted the paper to make money. You know, right. that, that was important for me. But we just always had this line that we wouldn't cross. And it, and it became very blurred. And it became... Yeah, you're going to write about this business because they're advertising with us. And yeah, you're going to do this because they're advertising with us. And those things actually happen. And it it's unfortunate um, that it's been that way because there was a really nice separation. Uh, because the emphasis now is not on the public service that is involved in journalism, but on making the buck. And the journalism is just a product you sell. Yeah. And that is a sad place to be. And I don't say that as a blanket, by the way. Um, in some places, it's not like that. It's, the journalism is still very the most important thing. But in those newspapers, in fact, that lose millions of dollars a year and continue to operate because their owners have deep pockets and they say, I don't care. You know, I would like to make some money or I'd like to not lose as much as I'm losing, but the journalism is why we're here. We didn't have that decision um, at the Birmingham or Mobile or Huntsville newspapers or the New Orleans paper or the Portland Oregonian or the Cleveland Plain Dealer or the Staten Island Advance or the Michigan newspapers in Ann Arbor and other places. That wasn't the decision. The decision was focused on the money. We're going to make the money, not the um, journalism. like such a shame because when you just name these large cities and I love large cities you know I live in Atlanta I used to live in LA but I think of the medium-sized cities where real things also happen that it matters to be on the ground and be in touch it's the gerrymandered congressional districts it's all of the things that people might say, oh, well, what's the point in paying attention to Alabama in this election? Everyone knows it's a red state. Everyone knows these things. But if you have the medium-sized newspaper looking at stuff county by county, district by district, city by city, it gives us a more accurate depiction of the region. Yes, and it makes a difference. And it does make a difference. Uh, but when you don't do that, you know, I mean, Alabama, frankly, is irrelevant in this election. Um, we were going to go 
Trump way over. But it's not, Alabama isn't irrelevant for Alabama. Does that make sense? It does. Like when it comes to the state level, when it comes to the 1901 right. Constitution, when it comes to who state representatives are, it's not irrelevant. Alabama is still relevant to itself. Right. Whether it knows that or not, yes. and that's my big yes. love and hate relationship with this state, is sometimes it doesn't know how good it can be. Yeah. Or a lot of times. Don't know the potential. Because it's blinded by just this idea of itself as Alabama. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, we do have a we, we, we don't have great self esteem. All right. We come by that honestly. But we also come by it because that's the way what they call the big mules. Uh, the big companies that were in control, uh, the Alabama Powers, the um, financial, we're a big financial state. Um, the, uh, and so those big companies, Alpha um, Insurance, the Farmers Federation, they call those the big mules. And the big mules have been controlling things for a long time and they've set the government up so that they continue to control, control things. And so we get a fairly progressive governor a few years ago come into office, uh, Bob Riley, a Republican, but he had been a congressman and he was a fairly progressive Republican, comes into office, puts a big proposal in the paper on, on the table for tax reform and so that our poor citizens aren't paying a bigger weight of tax than our richer citizens, of um, education reform, and it goes before the people and the people soundly vote it down. The very thing that would help them, that would cut their taxes, the rich, educated class voted in favor of that proposal. It was the poor and middle class that voted against it. The very people that would have been helped most by that proposal um, voted against it. That's just us because we've been conditioned that way. You know, like I said, I was a Republican early on. I canvassed my neighborhood for Richard Nixon, of all things, and then got involved in journalism because of Watergate. Wow. Who would have thought? And then I worked in Republican campaigns, even in Alabama, when I first came to Alabama. But then as I got older and I started listening to people and looking at history and living my life and experiencing things, um, my, you know, my viewpoint on many issues changed. And I do expect that they'll continue changing uh, because until I can't think anymore, I'm going to continue thinking. Alabama, now we all fiddle while your bridges burn. Alabama, look, the leaves are beginning to turn. Yeah, 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 they put a light bulb in your face. West timber leaves no trace, just a soft divided space. Hey, and all the people I have missed, put a chain link round their wrists, then you lose in a losing race. Hey. That's our show this week. We'd like to remind you to please vote on Tuesday. Next week, we're in Anniston, Alabama, with Mayor Vaughn Stewart and Vice Mayor Sayram Selassie talking about the future of the Civil Rights Trail and the Freedom Riders Memorial that is currently up for National Monument status. 
About South is brought to you from the historic West End of Atlanta, Georgia. Kelly Vines is co-producer. Special music this week is from Stuart McNair. You can find his music at stuartmcnair.com. Theme music is by Brian Horton. You can find his music at brianhorton.com. We owe a big thanks to Joey and Veronica Kennedy and all of their wonderful pugs who you may have heard in the background of this week's interview. This Sunday, November 6th, we'll be at the Wren's Nest in the West End celebrating the Blues and Barbecue fundraiser. Please join us there. You can find more information on our website. Speaking of our website, please visit aboutsouthpodcast.com. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Until next week, please vote.